I love today's passage and topic. Love, I mean, that's kind of, <clears throat> everyone likes that topic, but in the context of Advent, the, the arrival of the Messiah into this world, and then for us, the expectation of the Messiah, I love that we get to talk about the concept of love uniquely because we've seen it differently. And that's what our passage this morning is going to show us. We're going to be in 1 John this morning, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, reads like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Let's pray this morning. Father, you loved us. And you love us. It doesn't change. So help us this morning to remember what has been written and to see the love of Christ for us. And we prayed in his name. Amen. Well, it would not be, to me, it would not be Christmas time without Hallmark movies. I don't honestly think I've ever seen one. Um, They'll be around. I don't think I've ever seen one, uh, but they seem to be pretty familiar if you ever look at the lineup of movies. So you go, okay, well, this is how it looks. It's all the same people. It's just you just change the title. Yeah, there it is. So red and green shirts worn by Caucasians and Christmas or holiday or whatever they are. The Christmas Cottage, Sharing Christmas, A December Bride, Angel of Christmas, A Wish for Christmas, With Love Christmas, Finding Christmas, Christmas in the Homestead, you get to pick. And I did. I actually, you can find jokes about uh, how to make your own Hallmark movie Christmas title. So I used the Christmas movie plot generator, and this is my Christmas movie from Hallmark. A career-oriented writer returns to her small town at Christmas time to inherit something and magically falls in love with Christmas, the town, and some guy. It works. It'll sell. They certainly know how to target us. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. Just the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And yet, people watch it. It's like the 45 days of Christmas, the 364 days of Christmas, starting on December 26th. You just get to watch them every day until then. And I do think there's a reason, other than the fact that the, you know, the rather formulaic look, there is a part of us that likes this kind of cheap, breakable version of love. It's kind of nice, you know? It's like like junk food, right? It just tastes good. I enjoy watching a movie about nothing. I enjoy liking that. I enjoy just kind of engaging in something mindless. I just want to do something mindless. Well, a Hallmark movie is going to give you most of the way there, if not beyond, 
And I think it's true for you or for me that everyone likes to find stories of love. Everyone. They like the stories of love. They like to movies about love. They like songs about love. They like to cry when someone falls in love. Like, that's what you want. But love is a great virtue, right? But faith, these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We've watered it down, turned them into movies, but the love of God and the love that the church is to have for one another is so much more significant than that. When you finish the movie, I mean, how do you feel? What was it based on and how do you know what true love even is? You know, people, if you ever are talking to like somebody about it, they might go, oh, you'll know, which is just a terrible thing to tell somebody. Oh, you'll know. Like, I'll know? Well, what if I miss it? I don't know. Oh, you'll know. Like, well, how, how do you, you just, because you feel miserable when you're not with the person. I'm like, okay, so I don't, I don't, I don't understand what true love is then, I guess, because like, I, you'll know. You just got to find it. So kids, if you're looking for love, you'll know when you find it, but don't ask me. You just got to trust your heart. Well, today on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we get to discuss the love of God and how it should change our knowledge of what love is, as in what should we be looking for, and also our ability to offer it. To change our knowledge of what it actually is and our ability to offer it. First John 4, 7 through 10. You've heard the passage. John, one of the men who was with Jesus, who was discipled by Jesus, famous for talking about the love of God. Maybe you've heard the title that he's even given himself, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He likes to be that guy. And you can imagine all the other disciples are like, John, will you please stop? You know, hey, I sent you my draft of my gospel. What do you think? And they're like, you know, you were really just always talking about yourself as the guy Jesus loved. But he seemed to be enamored with the love of God, and he wrote about it, and he spoke about it. Tradition would say he gave himself his life for it. This passage gives us so much. It gives us really three things we'll see as we follow it. There's a command, which you read right at the beginning. There's a, a reason for the command. And then there's actually the demonstration of it. So he tells us something. He gives us a reason for it. And then he goes, and let me just show you what it looks like. And the command is simply stated. It's the first half of verse 7. Love one another. That's the command. Love one another. Easy enough. John says it like this in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. This is always where, you know, hip pastors will give you some magic word to go, oh, well, what this really means, it just means you've got to love one another. John, of all people, writes about love quite a bit. In fact, one of our memory verses in 2019, yeah, I'll bring them back. You know, oh my gosh, Hans, that was 2019. You're going to make us remember a verse from then? Yeah, I will. Listen to what Jesus said in John 13, not 1 John 13, the Gospel of John 13, 34 and uh, 35. I'm going to read the ESV. I have it memorized in the CSB, so I'm going to read from here so I don't mess it up. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
John writes about it in the gospel. He hears the instruction of Jesus to him. And then what does a disciple do? Because, I mean, think about disciple-making for a second, right? Like, we, we teach and we train, and if you're in a D group, you're in a D group, and our hope is that you would lead other D groups because we just want to keep talking about what we've heard but talk about it with other people. So John hears something from Jesus. Then he's writing a letter to disciples, and what does he do? He talks about what Jesus said. He's just passing it down. Love's not a Hallmark movie, unfortunately. It, it, I, I might define it like this, looking at John 13, looking at 1 John. It's a, an ongoing commitment to the sacrificial service of others so they may benefit and be made better through it. It's not a warm fuzzy, a liver quiver. It's not that, oh, you'll know it's, it's an actual commitment to the service of others for their benefit, even at your detriment, even at the loss of your life. That is love. So he gives us a command, love one another. He gives us a reason in the second half of verse 7 and verse 8. He doesn't leave you guessing, which is so kind of him, and his reason is rather simple. Love we love because God is love. That's his reason. Look at this. So he said in the first half, love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So love one another because God is love. It's, almost like the, it's, it's the classic parent because I said so thing almost, like, you do it because God is it, and you belong to him. My friend Steve, I think I've used this phrase before, my friend Steve has this uh, language that he uses specifically in regards to world missions, right? Reaching the unreached in the world. He calls it the family business. He's like, global missions is the family business. It's what you're a part of regardless of where you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of what you know. Like you're, you're a part of the family business, and if you look all the way back from the beginning into now, and you look all the way into Revelation, what you are going to see is the continual mission of God to bring all tribes, tongues, and languages, nations, to himself. That that has been the constant mission of God to fill the earth with people who image him, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And that's still coming because of sin. So the family business is to see the world know and worship the one true God. You might be able to say then the quality or the way in which we go about it is not heavy-handed, we don't force conversion. We can't force conversion. We don't angrily or combatively go at people. We don't yell and scream and tell them how terrible they are. The, the method, the, the value that encapsulates the family business is love. The way that we go about it is love. Now, it is much easier we can even speak about it as, as elders, it's much easier just to command people. Do this, because I said so. 
Do this because I need you to. Do this because I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to pull the authority card. But when the dominant disposition of the disciple is love, then you're very cautious on when to actually use an authority that God may even have given you. Because love is the motivation. Love is what compels. Faith working itself through love is what we need to be doing. That we are to love one another. And oftentimes, command and control and anger and frustration and strong words and harshness doesn't actually get the end goal, even though it feels better. I just wish I could tell everybody what to do. But the quality that we bring to the table is love. That's how we do it. It's how we do it. It's how we go about what we do. Now, this passage, 7b and 8, this part of it, has a few propositions that we need to get into. So first, love is from God. That means that he is the creator of it. That means actually, actually, the reason that we get to experience it is not because it came from us, but it came from him. He originates Love. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from movies. And it's important to hold on to that because so often we need to realize that the experiences that we might even have of love have an author. And then any ability for us to even tell it or show it or explain it or demonstrate it comes not from ourselves, but it's actually flickers of hope that exist because the love of God is real. I might even say that it is God's common grace towards us that we can experience love, that even unbelievers can experience love and love people is because there's an author who cares about his creation and wants them to, but it's not the same type. It doesn't have the same quality to it. The one who loves has been born of God. So we know John's talking about a different kind of love because everyone's loved. Right? Hallmark movies show love of some type, but when he says everyone who loves has been born of God, there's something else going on. It's tougher because there are people in the world, right? Mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and neighbors who are loving and might not be followers of Jesus, right? You might actually even say there are probably people who are more loving than you. They're more fun to be around. They're kinder. They're gentler. So what's this about? How can, how can John say the one who loves has been born of God, and then on the flip side, the one who doesn't, doesn't if you don't know God, you don't love? That's a rather harsh statement. It's this. It's that in being saved by God, by grace, through faith, in Jesus, we see a different type of love totally different type of love. It's a type of love that can exhaust itself for the sake of others because it has seen what God has done for us, the recipients. It's a love that does not stop, it does not dry up, it does not get tired. It's a love that reflects the one who is always loving, always caring, always present. Since it has a different source, it has a different power. The type of love that John wants his church to have is the type of love that is demonstrated, shown by God toward us. It's not a type of love that you can just manufacture. 
churn up, draw, or storyboard. It's totally different. So when he says anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, you're like, John, chill, man. Like, that's a pretty, that seems mean. I mean, don't you remember my grandmother? She was so loving. She loved me. My grandfather loved me. My aunt or uncle or cousin or brother. My unbelieving father. Man, he was just great. Like, you probably have all these things that you're thinking about where you go, I know people who don't know Jesus I would call loving. They would be loving. But in a sense, all that that is is capped by your own ability. It's capped by your own strength, by your own knowledge, by your own sin. But the love of God given to us and the spirit that is put inside of us actually puts at the disposal of the Christian an entirely different capacity. It is not one based on our strength or our sin. It is not one based on what we like or don't like. It is one based on the constant, unchanging love of God for us. That that doesn't change. And so when you go, but I'm just so tired, you go, that's okay. You can still love You can sacrifice, you can give. Christians should love because it is who you are. It's not just something that you put on when you want, right? Like, even though I will say, like, put on love, just mean be loving, but it's, it's actually core to you because the indwelling spirit is a part of you. And so you can't actually say, well, you know, I don't want to be loving. Like, 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 you are loving. It reflects your nature. It reflects your God. When he commands people to love, we then see that if they belong to God, they will love. This is a great little thing he's doing, which happens throughout the New Testament. Like, it happens all the time. Where you're like, hey, you're telling me to love, and then you're saying, if I know God, I will love. Like, why do you have to tell me if you're going to already say it's going to happen? Love one another. Anyone who loves knows God. I'm like, you're wasting your, you know, that's, that's a lot of parchment you got to use there if you're going to have to add that phrase where you're telling me something that seems like it's already going to happen. Why waste your words, John? But this is something that we always have to remember. Is that the New Testament is constantly reminding you to live in keeping with what God has done in you. To live in keeping with what has already happened. You go, well, I just don't feel that loving. I don't feel that generous. I don't feel that gracious. I, I have such limitations in and of myself. And I'm like, yes, you do. Every day, every day is a reminder that we need to die to self, take up our cross, and follow Jesus in the way that he's given us. Every day. It's that type of love It's a love that does not seek its own good. It's a love that does not yell and go, think of all the things that I've done for you. Does the Lord ever once say that? Think of all the things that I've done for you, you ungrateful, unhelpful, unloving. 
person. It doesn't get exhausted. That's how we do, right? We do that when we get mad. Don't you see all the stuff? But in fact, if you're reading with our F-260 right now, you hear Jesus in Jerusalem going, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, like how often I have longed. I've wanted to be with you, but you don't listen. But still, where's Jesus but presenting himself and presenting himself and presenting himself? Live in keeping with what God has done in you. It's just what we do. It's who we are. Do you tell your kids you love them? Kids are probably like, yes, I'm so tired of it. Even though they know. This is the conversation I have with my kids. Hey, you know I love you, right? Yes, I know. I go, well, okay, I'll, I'll just stop telling you. Just for the rest of our lives, I'll never tell you. Because you know. And if you, all you need to know is wants, right? Like, you never need to be reminded that I do. You never need to be reminded of what is true because you're so smart. So I'll just never say it. I'll write it down one time, I'll date it, and I'll hand it to you, and you can always look at that whenever you need. That's why the scriptures are full of commands about doing things that are already true. I mean, the epistles would be a lot shorter if they were, like, if they were just written like, you know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the grace of God. Do the things we talked about, love Paul. Like, if that were it, that'd be like every epistle would just be, you know, four sentences. Just do the things. But they go into elaborate detail to show us why we need to do the things that are already true. And if it is true that the Christian loves differently because it has a different source, then it should be true that the church looks different. Shouldn't it? It should be true that the church operates differently. It should be true that we are more sacrificial, more understanding, more gracious, more generous, more long-suffering, more submissive, less angry, less frustrated, perhaps even less opinionated. Because we know that those things are not nearly as significant as what we have in Christ for one another. I was reading an article recently, and it was written by an unchurched folk, an unbeliever, I believe, and uh, he was just writing about all the celebrity pastors and how they seemed to all fall, and because he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't trying to protect his tribe, right, which is sometimes what we do. We're like, oh, well, I know them, and so they're not as crazy, like, you don't know the full story. And so this guy, who doesn't really know these guys, is like, I think that's crazy, and I think that's crazy, and I think that's crazy. It was like, equal opportunity, just what's wrong with you guys? But he did have this point. He was like, if you're offering me what the world already does more poorly, why would I go there? If you're trying to be something and mimic the world in some way, and he was not denomination specific. He was just like, hey, church, in America, if you want to pursue some type of great dream of being awesome, I can find way more awesome out in the world if that's what you're going after. I don't need that. And I bet that that is for many the reputation they have of believers. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to be? Why are you trying to be awesome? You serve 
a God who died for you, who humbled himself for you. So why be something else? Well, you know the answer to that, because we're stupid. I mean, you know the answer. We just, we're, we're, we're fleshly and we focus on ourselves and we live in a world that loves self and emphasizes self and cares about self and wants to see what you're doing. And so we know how to look better in front of one another by promoting certain things. Now, I can't wait because when January starts, we get back into the Sermon on the Mount, we get Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Like, that's where we're headed come January. It's like, you know, hey, new year, new us. Just stop showing off. Like, spoiler alert, that's where it's headed. So the Christian loves differently, but it's not in our own power. I would even go so far as to say, in in a sense, like, it's not begrudging. And here's why. Because John gives a demonstration. He says, love, because love's from God, and let me just go ahead and show you what I mean. And so he gives the demonstration, and the demonstration, and this is the Advent theme, Jesus is sent to us. Jesus is sent to us. That's how we know God is love. How do I know God is love? How do you know God is love? Because Jesus came. That's how you know. He tells us what to do, love. He explains why God is love, and it's in keeping with people who belong to God. And then he has shown us what God is love means. Verse nine, in This, the love of God, was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's why the love of God is different because it offers us something that other types of love can't. Life. God sent his son into the world. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. It doesn't start with you. But that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice, what your translation might say. But that he satisfied the requirement for our sins. So love, because God is love. Great, God is love, right? Lots of people say that. People who don't know Jesus would say that. Many people would be like, oh yeah, God is love, right? Like they don't even have to be religious. They'll say God is love. You tell me God is loving, I'm gonna say, yeah, that makes sense because I like love. And then John takes it a step further. No, 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 let's show you what God is love is. God is love is Jesus coming into the world to die for you before you even knew who he was. That's what God is love means. That's what we mean when we say God loves you. That's what we mean when we say God is love, that Jesus died for you, that God died for you. God's love was made known through Jesus coming into the world so that we could live. When we might speak of God's love as being otherworldly, that's what we mean. Otherworldly, because it came from heaven to us. It has a totally different power at its disposal. It has a totally different source And in verse 10, John further clarifies, it's not that our love for God that makes love cool, it's that God sent Jesus to be that sacrifice for us. God's wrath was satisfied through Jesus' work on the cross, that's love. 
Well, why is it seen as love? Seems unfair, some people might say. That's unfair. Why would God do that? Because it was God doing something for you that you could never do for yourself. Ever. And it's so hard for me to have this conversation with my kids because I fall short. Words fall short for me to have these kinds of conversations where I tell my kids, you know I love you. I will never love you more than God does. But maybe if I do okay as your dad, you'll trust a loving father. Not me, but your heavenly father. And you'll be able to receive more from him and learn more from him and grow more because of him than you would ever be able to be if you just stayed by me. Look at him, don't look at me. Because even though I know him, I am a very bad picture of what that should be lived out to its fullest extent because I'm still not Jesus. Now one thing I love about the scriptures is that even though you will fall short all the time, it doesn't change the aim. Even though you will regularly be unloving, angry, bitter, frustrated, you will be smart mouth and condescending. You will get up one morning and you go, this is the day. I am not going to say one thing out of step. Well, then you keep your mouth shut all day and all you do is just think angrily. And then in the moment, like the day's over, you go, oh man, I'm so glad I did, not, I did not tell you that I don't like you one time today. And like your one sentence, you ruined it because that's just what happens with us. But it doesn't change the aim It doesn't change the goal. It doesn't change the destination that we should continue to grow as people who love. We should continue to grow as a church that is loving. We should continue to find ways that are more loving to care for one another. We should continue to find ways to be more submissive, more understanding, more uh, kind, to be gentler, to be gracious, to be interested in other people before we're interested in ourselves. We joke about the text messages we might receive where you ask somebody a question and then they reply back like two days later with their answer only because they realized that they needed something from you and it would look bad if they did not answer your question first before then going, oh yeah, that's how I feel about this. Hey, so by the way, because that's just how we operate. I'm more interested in what I need from you than what you need. That's how we treat people. And yet with that even being true, Jesus died for us. With that even being true, he came, he arrived. And with all the wimpy love that we are able to muster as a church, we still belong to him. And we still have him as our example. I say this regularly, and I'm just gonna keep saying it because we need to hear it, even if we know it's true. God loves you. He loves you. Kids, your parents love you. I know you don't think they do. But they love you imperfectly. God loves you perfectly. Parents, God loves you. He isn't waiting for you to be the perfect parent because you can't be. But he doesn't just say he loves you. He shows it through the work of Jesus.
Sometimes you use the phrase, you know, you got to have skin in the game, right? Like, you got to have skin in the game. You know, if you, if you pay your way, even if it's some portion, or you do this, or you do that, like, you have to be invested. Which is funny when it comes to the Christian life, because as a matter of fact, the reason that we can even enter into a relationship with God is because we actually have nothing to offer. Like, there's no skin in the game. I don't, I don't, I don't have anything. I have 0.00 with a line over it percent offering to God. I have nothing. And yet, what does God do? 100% skin in the game. He goes all in. Right? All in. I'm not just going to stand. Because some of us, don't, don't we have this view sometimes of God? It's like he's this distant guy and he's way over here and he's like, hey, you should do these things. And we're like, what's that voice kind of bouncing around the room? We don't know. Like, so some of us have this view of God that he's just out here hanging out in a star and it's really bright. We never really understand how to get to him. We just hope that we do enough good things or say enough good things or we're kind enough or we give somebody money or something like that. We just hope we can kind of grasp at stuff and do enough that whatever distant God is out there can see us and go, well, that's enough. The $5 you gave, that's enough. Glad you did it. Come on in. God's love for us was so great that he made himself seen. that he, the son, became man. And think about this. Jesus did not stop becoming man. We worship a resurrected, embodied Savior with scars still on him. The guy who went to Thomas and said, feel, you need proof? Feel, here, put your hand here, put your hand here. We worship a Savior who never stopped identifying with us. It wasn't like he just incarnated for a moment and then, you know, 33 years later was like, man, am I glad to get that skin suit off? Like, that's actually a heretical take on what the Son of God has done. He has stayed identifying with us. So that the statements that we read about Jesus knowing our weakness can remain true. He's like, man, I can't even remember. That was like 2,000 years ago. I don't know what it was like to be a person. Jesus can always say that. So he's not some distant God. He wasn't just kind of like, well, what do you mean love one another? Jesus is like, I'll show you. It's me. It's me. That's how you know what love is. And so we come full circle, don't we? You have love one another, God is love, we know that because he's shown us in his son. So that brings us back to what do we do with it? Love one another. We still love one another. People who belong to Jesus have at their disposal an entirely different reason for expressing love. Because the highest and greatest love has been given to them in Christ. So just a simple question. How often do you actually remind yourself of God's love for you? So run through a given day. You get up in the morning, maybe the coffee's brewed, maybe it isn't. Kids get up, it's a school day. So, well, not school days right now. School day, though, let's just pretend when I wrote this it was. You go to work, kids go to school, you eat, you hang out, you do whatever it is you do throughout the day. 
get home, have dinner, kids go to bed, you settle in for a long winter's nap or whatever it is you're going to do. How often in that given day have you reminded yourself of what Jesus has done for you? How many times have you actually entered into the fact that Jesus has died for you? To take three minutes and just meditate on that. The love of God for you and how that changes you. So, there are ways you, of course, can do this. Three, I think, simple ones. But one would be, do you engage the scriptures regularly? Like, it is like a siren for us. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Like, that's all we keep reading about. It's like, you know, he's not done with us. He's not done with us. I would encourage you, somewhere around here, you know, lots of papers start showing up over the course of the morning. But somewhere around here, I have a reading plan, but I don't know where it is. So you'll have your reading plans. And they're at like, like, just grab a reading plan and join us in reading the scriptures throughout the year. Six days a week, if you got it, read the Bible in a year. If you go, that's too much, well, then just reduce the amount of reading you do in a given day. You go, I don't want to read four chapters, I'll read two. I won't be like, what? You're, like, You're reading, you're reminding yourself. That's awesome. It's like saying, like, if you plan to work out an hour a day, let's just say you did that because you're crazy. Let's just say that's you. Try to get an hour workout in. So, so, you know, on Tuesday, you can't. You can only get in 20 minutes. You go, well, I'm only going to get in 20 minutes. I'm not going to do it. Get in the 20 minutes. If four chapters is too much, then do one chapter. Like, no one's sitting around going, like, there was no command from God that was like, you shall read the Bible in a year. But we've started to do that. Like, you must do it like this. And the, all the people before us who didn't have physical copies of the Bible or who can't read, they've just been doomed if that were the case. But engage the scriptures. Do you pray the scriptures? Right? So God's word to us, we meditate on it, and then we communicate back to God what we're reading. What we're, what we're, what we're thinking about. How do I do this better, God? Right? Like that's another way to meditate on the love of God for you and how that might have implications for how you live. Do you talk with others about it? Man, we had the, the great, at our D group on Monday, we had the greatest conversation about what was Jesus doing when he was talking to the lady about how, you know, like, I'm, you know, dogs don't eat at my table. Like, we probably went for 30 minutes on this topic, going through, well, you know, I've heard it like this, and one guy was kind of going through, I, I, you know, I, was, I was thinking of all the things that Jesus might be using that example for. And we ran through that for 30 minutes, probably. And you get done, and you're just like, Wow. Yeah, Jesus is smart. Like that's sometimes like that's all we can say. Jesus is smart. Do you talk with others about it? Do you have moments where you just have conversations about the goodness of God and not the things that bug you? It's way easier to talk about the things that bug you. Always. What, you, what you've seen in the news, what you don't like, what you've read, whatever your Facebook friend posted, however you feel, whatever, like it's so easy to talk about the things that annoy you. But God has put at your disposal in his spirit no need. You can just talk about him. 
You can be uninterested and disengaged from whatever's making somebody else mad. Because the news that Jesus died for you never runs out of storylines. It's just, how does this happen today? How do I see and experience this today? So how often do you remind yourself is question one. Question two is then, how often do you withhold love? How often do you withhold it? Because one thing that God's not is a withholder. Well, 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 hold on, you know. Do five flips first, and then, I'll love you. All right, remember, not that we loved God, but he loved us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Where do you withhold love? Where do you know that perhaps you should be sacrificial? In what relationship do you at times fail to show grace? If you are unaware, ask God. He is apt to show you. And if you are daring, ask someone who loves you. Sometimes we are like, oh yeah, yeah, anybody can ask me anything they want at any time. I'll talk about more of that in January. Anything, yeah. People have an open invitation to ask me anything they want. I'm like, yeah, but do you give it to them? Do you actually say to them, what am I doing right now that I could grow in? What am I doing right now that you think is frustrating? Like sometimes we use that as like the card of like, oh yeah, people can say whatever they want to me whenever they want. Like, yeah, but provide them the opportunity. Just say, how could I be more loving? Where where might I be being stingy with my love? Where am I communicating a lack of love? These are great conversations that I have with my kids, and sometimes like, oh, you don't give me enough candy. I'm like, well, let's talk about that. You're probably right. Kids, you get all the candy in the world. Merry Christmas. So these two truths work together. Do I know God? I should love. If you know God, you love. So do I know God? Do I love? Held together. Hallmark movies? Junk food. We like the feel, but it leaves us hollow. Christ's death for us never runs dry. Stay close to the love of God because God came to you. That's what we get to remember at Advent. Amidst whatever else has gone on this week or even this morning, God stands ready to receive you because he gave himself fully for you. We should never tire of that.